Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I am your host, Heather Tesco. I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. I have completely lost track of what episode we're on. I don't know, something close to 200. Who knows? I don't know. Um, we're somewhere in the realms of space time and it's just a journey and we're just rolling with it. But we are today talking about Richard de la Pole, known as the White Rose, the last Yorkist claimant to actively and openly seek the English crown. And actually, we're going to expand to the whole de la Pole family and his brother Edmund as well. It is a tale of ambition, royal intrigue, dogged persistence played out on the backdrop of a tumultuous period in European history. Before we get started, though, your reminder about TudorCon. It's getting a little late to plan a trip to Pennsylvania in September, unless you are totally a last-minute person. No judgment. I see you. I am too. But if you can't come in person, I want to remind you about the streaming ticket. You can come via the magic of the interwebs to all three days of learning, entertainment, and also... There are some very special surprises just for streaming folks, including a digital goodie bag, all kinds of other fun things. So enter the code earlybird at englandcast.com slash tutorcon online when you check out to save $10 off your ticket. It's like coming to TutorCon, but without having to get out of your yoga pants and without having to pack a bag. So englandcast.com slash tutorcon online, enter the code earlybird to save $10. Also, you guys, it has been like ages and ages and ages since I've done a Patreon shout out. And I always remember it when I'm uploading the episode to Patreon. And I think I really got to do that the next time. And, you know, then I write the episode and I record it. It hits me again when I'm uploading it to Patreon. I think, oh, yeah, I got to do that. And then, you know, I go on and write the next episode and record it and then think, oh, yeah, I got to. So here we are. I have awesome patrons. I have like the most awesome patrons in the whole entire world. And I'm starting to do more episodes just for them. So I recently sent over a virtual tour of Tudor Oxford, and I have another episode planned this week just for patrons. So that library of patron-only episodes will continue to grow. So a big special thanks and special Tudor hugs go out to Leanne, Danny, Loretta, Michael, Richard, Terry, Teresa, actually, sorry, Kelly, Taylor, Heather, awesome name, Shamala, Shamala, I love your name, Marie, Cheyenne, Sharon, Joelle, Kimberly, Johanna, Tracy, Justine, Rachel, Vivian, Jen, Jennifer, 
Jill, Michael Ratty, Bobby Brown, Delia, Katie, Helen, Wendy, Twyla, Kara, Sarah, Susan, Selene, Catherine, Ian, Kendra, Kathy, Rebecca from Tudor's Dynasty, Al, Sin, and Jurgen, who is my daddy. <laughs> Thank you so much to all of you dear, wonderful Tudor nerds. If you are also a Tudor nerd and would like to join this exceptional group of people with amazing taste and get extra episodes and cool stuff like a free copy of the Tudor Planner, you too can go to patreon.com slash englandcast to learn more. And thank you so very, very much. Honestly, you guys are the most amazing. And I'm, I'm about to update the Patreon page. It's been on my to-do list for like a couple of months, and I'm actually going to get to it this month to add in more perks and more goodies and more stuff. So englandcast.com slash Patreon, and there you go. Okay, boom, here we go. Let's talk about the De La Poles. So we talked about the Poles recently, and now we're talking about the De La Poles. They are not the same. They are not to be confused. So the interesting thing, at least one interesting thing, there's a lot of interesting things, but an interesting thing is that we don't talk very much about them now. But at the time, they were a huge thorn in both Henry VII and Henry VIII's respective sides. We will start with Richard. He was the major one that Henry fought, and he was the last one. We're also going to talk about Edmund too. So starting with Richard, he was the seventh and youngest son of John de la Pole, who was the second Duke of Suffolk. Now, his mother Elizabeth, bear with me here, his mother Elizabeth was a sister to Edward IV. Also, of course, Richard III and the Duke of Clarence. So she was one of those children of the Duke of York. So keeping it all straight, he would have been cousins with the princes in the tower, as well, of course, as Henry VIII's mother, Elizabeth of York. So they were in the same position as the Pole family, though they were descended not from the Duke of Clarence, like the Pole family, but from one of the sisters. So, you know, they were all cousins. They would have all been at family reunions together. They all would have had Thanksgiving dinner together if that had been a thing at that point, which it was not. So we can move on. You guys have had a lot of caffeine today. <laughs> anyway, we often hear about these three brothers of York, the three sons, as they famously saw the three sons in the sky after one of winning one of those very brutal battles in the Wars of the Roses. And that was the sign that the three sons of York would, would rule. But there were also sisters of York. It wasn't just the three sons. There were sisters. So his father was an important English soldier during the Hundred Years' War, John de la Pole. And then he married into the Yorkist family. And so Richard and Edmund, their maternal lineage, linked them directly to the Yorkist claim to the throne. And his paternal family was an established part of the English nobility. So Richard and Edmund, it started out, like I said, there were seven sons. So we're going to start with John de la Pole, not John the Elder, John the Son. He was the first Earl of Lincoln. He was potentially named heir by their uncle, Richard III of England, because as you will remember, dust off your Wars of the Roses knowledge here and your Richard III knowledge, Richard had a son and that son had died. After that son died, supposedly, potentially, Richard named John de la Pole his heir. But then 
Bosworth Field happened. John de la Pole is suddenly like, oh, yeah, I don't need to press my claim. Henry Tudor, you're good. I'm on your side now. So he pledged his allegiance to the new king. However, of course, in true wiffle-waffle style of 15th century English nobility, he then joined the rebellion of Lambert Simnel two years later, and he died at the Battle of Stoke Field. That leaves his second brother, Edmund. He succeeded his father's Duke of Suffolk, but after his brother, John, died fighting against the king, things were reduced. Of course, he would have been attainted and lost all of the all of the lands and everything like that. So Henry VII reduced Edmund's title from Duke to Earl. You know, my dad's favorite song, and we used to sing it together. This is a total side note, but I am highly caffeinated. When I was a kid, I was Duke of Earl. And I remember singing that with my dad. He used to blast it in our big old Thunderbird. I don't know if it was an A-track. I don't think it was an A-track. Duke, 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 Duke of Earl, Duke, Duke, Duke of Earl, Duke, Duke, Duke of Earl. Anyway, Henry VII reduced Edmund's title from Duke to Earl. This made Edmund mad, of course, and he sought to recover from this losses by establishing connections with Maximilian I. He was the Holy Roman Emperor, and he thought maybe he could get support for his claim to the English crown. Because by this point, he's like, well, my brother said he was loyal to Henry VII, but then he fought against him. Maybe I have a claim. So Edmund's story is fascinating. We're going to do a little side trip there right now. So he lost his dukedom, had it reduced to an earldom. Not bad, but still. He then played a key role against the Cornish rebels at Blackheath in 1497, but then he found himself indicted for murder the following year. He was pardoned, but he fled overseas in 1499. Somehow he was able to come back, and he was part of the treaty witnessed at Canterbury in 1500 for the marriage of Prince Arthur and Catherine of Aragon. During this time, he was described as stout and bold and of courage. So that's impressive. He then departs for France. He was the Earl of Suffolk at this point. He departs for France, joins King Henry at his meeting with Archduke Philip in, in Calais. In 1501, now 1501, he and his brother, something happened and they left England without the king's permission. And they fled to Emperor Maximilian in Tyrol, where he reclaims his title as Duke of Suffolk. He's like, I'm no longer Earl, I'm Duke. And he became known as the White Rose. Apparently, this all happened because Maximilian had received a message from Sir Robert Curzon asserting that the English people had had enough of Henry VII's murders and tyrannies and suggested that Edmund could be an alternate heir. Maximilian was like, sure, let's stir up some trouble. Why not? Sounds like fun. Declares that he would do everything in his power to ensure that one of Edward's blood, meaning one of Edward IV, a Yorkist, would reclaim the throne. This probably is what motivated Edmund and then Richard, both together, to escape. <laughs> they left a brother, though, which was unfortunate. William de la Pole. He was apprehended and put in the tower, even though he's like, I didn't even go with him. I'm innocent. No, to the tower you go. 
Sir James Tyrrell was commanded to surrender himself after letting Edmund cross through Calais, and he only relented after being promised safe passage to an audience with the king, a promise that was, of course, promptly broken as Tyrrell and his son were forcibly apprehended. As a result of his rebellion, he was proclaimed an outlaw, Edmund was, and was attainted in Parliament, leading to the forfeiture of all of his honors. He now was just leaning in totally. He embraced his claim to the throne. He adopted the title of the White Rose, Duke of Suffolk, and his claim found a supporter in King John of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. As the Chronicle of the Greyfires reports on February 22nd, 1502, Edmund was publicly condemned at St. Paul's Cross during a morning sermon. In 1504, he's really getting himself involved by this point in the European politics of the time. He was intending to join the Duke of Saxony. He left for Friesland, but he was detained by the Duke of Gelders and later by Archduke Philip of Burgundy, who then becomes Philip I of Castile. 1504 was also when Henry VII signs a treaty with the Hanseatic League that was actually really not good for English merchants, but they did promise to not offer any support to the De La Poles. So that's probably why Henry signed it. And I kind of said this quickly, but remember, he is detained by Philip of Burgundy, who becomes Philip I of Castile. That's important. Remember it. So that same year, John Flamenck reported to the king a conversation among several leading figures in Calais, and they were openly discussing the state of the king's health, saying that he didn't have long to live, and who his successors would be, saying that the Duke of Buckingham would be a good one, and maybe Edmund, but they failed to mention the king's own son, the future Henry VIII. So this probably would have been very upsetting news for Henry to hear. So Philip keeps Edmund a prisoner, thinking he's a valuable political prisoner, and he was right. So this is a fun little way of that things twist together, right? In an unexpected turn of events, while Philip I was en route to Spain to claim his wife Joanna's inheritance of the crown of Castile, he was blown off course to England and became Henry VII's very reluctant guest. We hear about this event often when we read about Catherine of Aragon's life. Because this was a chance for her. This was the period when Catherine of Aragon was a widow to Arthur. And there was a treaty that she would marry Henry VIII, but there was kind of constant negotiation back and forth. And, you know, this wasn't a very happy period for her. She was just kind of a prisoner, but not really. Anyway, this was a chance for her to see her sister. And so we, in biographies, they'll always mention that period. Anyway, in order to continue his journey on to Castile... Philip was persuaded by Henry to surrender Edmund, who was subsequently imprisoned in the Tower of London. So Henry Seventh is like, yeah, you want to go on to Castile. Well, you've got a very important prisoner that I would like to have. And you are now here with me, kind of stuck. So maybe you give me Edmund and I let you go. And he was like, OK. So Edmund is in the Tower. His incarceration lasted for seven years, after which he was executed on the grounds of his brother Richard's alliance with France, with whom England was then at full-on war. So that brings us to Richard. Richard had joined Edmund in exile in 1504, and he found refuge at Buda with King Ladislaus II of Bohemia and Hungary. He was excluded from the general pardon when Henry VIII ascended to the throne 
and he remained a thorn in the side of the English monarchy for another 20 years. After his brother's death, he took on the role of the White Rose, and even King Louis XII of France recognized him officially as the King of England. Louis, in fact, provided him a command in the French army when France went to war with England in 1512, and giving him 12,000 German mercenaries, ostensibly to defend Brittany, but the reality of the situation was that he was probably planning to invade England. He actually fought against Henry in one of the battles when Henry invaded France, which, if they'd met on the battlefield, might have been awkward. Like, hey, cousin, who's trying to steal my throne? Hey, cousin, whose throne is rightfully mine? Um, that might have been weird. 1514 was also the year Henry VIII made his friend Charles Brandon the Duke of Suffolk, in part to delegitimize the claims of the De La Poles. So then Richard goes to Lorraine, to Metz, and he builds a palace where he was visited by Pierre Alamire, who was a composer who ran a music printing workshop in Antwerp and who was also a spy for Henry VIII. Now, longtime listeners of my show will remember that we first talked about Alamiri all the way back eight years ago when I interviewed David Skinner, the musicologist, who was my very first interview on this show. He named his group Alamiri after the spy, and we talked about the songbook that Alamiri had gifted Henry, and also how musicians made great spies because they were always traveling. So the group Alamiri had just released an album called The Spy's Choir Book, which was music from Alamiri's choir book. Side note, Henry never paid Alamiri for this luxurious manuscript that Alamiri had given him, but he was very lucky that he didn't wind up in the tower because what happened was he goes to visit Richard Dalehole to spy on him, but he turns counter spy. He became a double agent and was then spying for Richard Dalehole. So then, you know, Henry kind of got word of this. He tried to smooth things over with this manuscript. And it didn't work. And Alamiri never came back to England. He did write a letter to Woolsey in 1517 trying to justify himself, but it didn't work. His manuscript stayed in England and was actually finally recorded in 2014. And Henry's choir book, this choir book that Alamiri had made for Henry with music by Pierre de la Rue and, and many others, was heard for the first time in England in nearly 500 years with that album by Alamiri led by David Skinner, which was the interview I did in 2015. So you guys, everything is like related. Everything is related. Anyway, Richard cleverly employed Alamiri, like I said, as a counter spy, and that led to his banishment from England. After King Louis died and the Dauphin Francis I became king, Henry seemed genuinely worried, and he actually tasked Cardinal Wolsey with figuring out how to do away with Richard. Throughout the years, Richard maintained his ambition for the English throne. He was treated like a prince. He was even referred to as Richard IV. Of course, this meant he also had to evade assassins who were sent to kill him, the same way his cousin Reginald Pole at the same time. In fact, it was such a priority, like I said, Henry asked Thomas Woolsey to figure out how to do away with him. Matt Lewis writes in his history blog, he set up Thomas Woolsey to oversee Sir Edward Poynings and the Lord Chamberlain, the Earl of Worcester, tasking them with arranging the assassination of Richard de la Pole. That men of such standing were appointed to this task is a mark of the threat that Henry perceived. Of course, all of these people failed, and 
Richard evaded Henry's agents for a decade, moving around frequently, attracting Yorkist stragglers to his court in exile. During his time in exile, Richard held numerous meetings with Francis I of France. He was allowed to plan an invasion of England in partnership with John Stuart, the second Duke of Albany, the Scottish regent. However, this invasion was never carried out, and Richard's ambitions were ultimately thwarted by fate. His life was cut short in 1525 during the Battle of Pavia, where he fought alongside Francis I. He was buried in the Basilica San Pietro in Ciel de Oro, leaving behind an unfinished chapter in the Yorkist claim to the English crown. When Henry VIII heard about de la Pole's demise, he ordered a Te Deum sung in churches throughout the country. And luckily for Henry, coincidentally, he also had Richard's brother, William, of course, still held prisoner in the tower for nearly 37 years at this point. So no one knows if William's death in 1539 was a natural one or something arranged by the king. This was the same time that Henry seemed to be on a rampage rooting out all of the old Yorkists, including their also mutual cousin, Margaret Pohl. We did another episode on the Pohl family recently. So at the same time he was killing off the Pohls, he might have also covertly ended the De La Pohls as well. Here's a fun fact about Richard de la Pole. Richard's father, John de la Pole, had actually been the first husband of Henry VII's mother, Margaret Beaufort. That marriage was annulled, and John de la Pole went on to marry Elizabeth, the sister of Edward IV, as I said. But imagine if that marriage hadn't been annulled and Margaret had stayed married to John de la Pole. That allows for a fun what-if thought experiment that is both fascinating as well as mind-boggling because all of these people are related. I can't keep them straight. But it is interesting to think about. Despite never marrying, Richard did have a daughter, Marguerite de la Pole, with a mistress, and she served as a lady of honor to Marguerite of Angoulême, the Queen of Navarre, and had a very prosperous life in France. So we are going to leave it there for today. The de la Pole family and the risks of being born on the Yorkist side uh, and being cousins with the king uh, right after a civil war. Not, not a good scene. Not a good scene. You can go into the Tudor Learning Circle, which is at tutorlearningcircle.com, a social network just for Tudor nerds, uh, to discuss this and all things related to Tudor history. Also, remember to grab your TudorCon streaming ticket at englandcast.com slash TudorCon online and enter the code EARLYBIRD to save $10 off of your ticket. All right. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. I will be back very soon. I hope you are having a wonderful week, a wonderful start to your summer or winter if you are in Australia. And if you are in Australia or England right now, I hope you are enjoying watching the ashes. We are watching the ashes. Um, I'm actually recording this while my husband is watching The Ashes, and I haven't been following it closely, but I apparently know that this test, the ending of this test, is amazing. That's all I know. All I know is that this is apparently the best end to a test match, like, in a long time. You can correct me if I'm wrong about that. I think that's what my husband said. I kind of tune out as he talks about it. Anyway, I'm going to have some more caffeine. You have a wonderful wonderful week and I will talk with you again soon. Thanks. Blow northern wind, the sand who may be sweating. Blow northern 
Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.